Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Sarah Ellis, and this is the Squiggly Careers podcast. In this week's episode, you'll hear my conversation with Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, the authors of Designing Your Work Life. I was really looking forward to speaking to Bill and Dave as I've admired their work since reading their first book, which was about designing your life. And we've got lots in common, I think, with the work that they do. It's very practical, action-focused, lots of tools and techniques to try out. So I think if you like Squiggly Careers and Squiggly Career Book, I think you'll like the work that they do. And where they're different to us is that they take their expertise in design thinking and apply it to how we think about our careers. So really they're borrowing from one world to benefit another. And I think that idea works brilliantly. Those tools and techniques give us a really interesting way to think about the work that we do. So I hope you enjoy our conversation together. And remember, if you'd like to delve a bit deeper into any of the podcast topics, you can join us for Pod Plus. Pod Plus is a 30 minute workshop that we do every Thursday at nine o'clock where we explore some of the tools and ideas in a bit more detail and visually bring them to life. And also it's an opportunity for you to meet other people who just love learning and are part of the Squiggly Careers community. You can find all of the details for Podplus on our Instagram page where we're just at Amazing If. So that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the conversation and I'll be back at the end to talk about next week's topic, which I predict is going to be a popular one. So Bill, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm really delighted to be talking to you both today. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be here. I just thought it'd be really interesting for our listeners who perhaps are not familiar with design thinking to just explore that a little bit and how that's useful. And so Bill, perhaps you'd like to start by just talking to us about why you think design thinking is so helpful when we think about designing our life and our work? And what does design thinking really mean in the context of our careers? Sure. Design thinking is this human-centered way of solving problems. And it's a methodology we've been working on at Stanford since 1963. And around 2006, when David Kelly, our senior academic, started the D School, we started talking about design thinking as the methodology for coming up with innovations. And if you're doing product or service or, you know, or experience design, it's a way of understanding people's and their needs and then coming up with lots of ideas and then prototyping and testing. Because we know when we're trying to make a new product, something new to the world, like an iPhone or a, a new ride at Disneyland, we don't really know what the future looks like. We have to kind of build a lot of stuff in order to understand really where we're going. And we just keep prototyping until we figure out that we've got something that's amazing and satisfying and, and customers really like it. 
Okay, so then around 2007, Dave was teaching over at Berkeley. He's teaching a career class over at Berkeley. He comes by my office at Stanford, and he says, hey, are your students having trouble figuring out what they want to do, how to launch, what's life after college? I said, yeah, I've been in those office hours for years. Let's do a class. He said, let's do a class. I said, yeah, let's do a class, and let's do it around design because if I'm creating something new to the world, my future, I don't have any data about it. I'm going to have to use design techniques and get curious. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to go out and build lots of prototypes. And so it just seemed like this innovation process, which is proven in massive corporations to create new products, would be a great way to think about our lives. And as we started building out the curriculum, and Dave and I worked on this you know, together for three or three years or so in a class that was called the Designer's Voice, which was just a little prototype of the bigger class designing your life. We just kept trying, you know, different ways of prototyping. Well, sort of an information interview, that's like a prototype, right? And going on, a, you know, a shadowing a doctor for a day to find out if you want to be a doctor, that's a prototype. So we realized that the prototyping technique would work and that this idea of doing empathy first, empathy on yourself, who are you? What do you really want to do? And then empathy on the world. What's the world need? Just because you want to do something doesn't mean the world needs it. So all the pieces of design thinking fit in very nicely. And then, you know, lots of stuff from positive psychology and from the career and career area of, you know, of trying to understand how people find careers. It was taking an innovation methodology that we knew worked to try to innovate our lives and to do it in an ongoing fashion because you never really are done designing your life. There's always something new coming up. And Dave, we were chatting before actually we started about this idea of wayfinding and it being quite consistent really with squiggly. So perhaps maybe you could tell our listeners about what, what do you mean by wayfinding? Because I think that'll be quite a new word for lots of people. Well, and it, it, it is a technical term. It comes up in experience design all the time. You, you wayfind your way through an airport you've never been in before. These two terms, navigation and wayfinding in design, they're technical terms. And in navigation, I know exactly where I am. I know where I'm going, and I have data about the space in between. It's what your GPS does for you when you're driving your car. And now I will navigate the efficient path from where I am to where I'm going. You know, if I have the routes of the streets in my memory, I, I'll pick the most efficient route. If it's an open field, I'll draw a straight line. So everybody thinks a straight line is what I ought to be doing. You know, go straight up the ladder of life. Go straight to the destination of life. That's navigation. But when you don't know exactly where you are, you definitely don't know exactly where you're going. And you sure as heck don't have the information between here and there called the future. What do you do? You wayfind. You make, you take the best information you can. You make one experimental movement out into the field. You go, you know, to that tree over there. And then it's on a little hill and you've got a different point of view from over there. Then you run over to where the gazelle is and you see what she's doing, you know. And you make one step, then another. And it's very squiggly. And that's wayfinding, but wayfinding well, you know, so you actually end up drawing this, you know, sawtooth, squiggly, spiral, you know, sort of a route between A and B, the B you finally get to. That actually is the shortest distance between two points for a smart person doing a good job of experimentally incrementing their way forward by what we call prototype iteration. So wayfinding is the skill of making that multi-stepped empirical process work for you. How does this help when we start to think about our careers and the work that we do? What can we do to make sure that we are more kind of present and in the now versus too kind of worried about where we might be headed? You know, your question has two pieces to it. You said two very important words. You talked about happiness in the future, the issue of now versus the future, and the issue of more. So I'll take now very briefly, then I'm going to pitch more over to my buddy Bill. So on the question of now, design, design thinking, 
I've often said, is brutally committed to reality. The only place you can do design is in reality. You can't do it in the land of should. Like, I should be doing something else, or I should have had it all figured out by now. You know, so all that anxiety about there was a future I had in mind that should have been present by now. So we're very committed to now, and we're very committed to doability. Small incremental steps you can do. The number one thing people tell us is, other books I've read or other ideas I've heard sound inspirational, but I don't know if I can do them. Your book actually sounds like you're saying something we can do. And then there's the whole question of more, which usually comes up is, is it enough? And when Bill and I sat down to write the second book, we said, what are people stuck on at work? First thing that came up is like, everybody goes, ah, this isn't good enough. This job isn't good enough. And there's an issue about good enough. Bill, what is that issue? Well, this whole thing about more, you know, we have known for uh, at least 50 years of psychology that more does not make you happy. Dan Gilbert, the psychologist at Harvard that we use a lot, famous for studying happiness, and he says, happiness is not getting what you want. It's wanting what you actually have. To double down on that, you are here now. If you, the little Easter egg in both books, if you pull off the dust cover, embossed into the hardcover book is a, the symbol, you are here. It's here where we're going to start to design. And it's here where we, we start to understand ourselves in satisfaction. And, you know, when we do our work, when we do live workshops, if we ever get a chance to do that again, we do a short workshop and the people will show up and we'll have a little wine and cheese and I'll say, who's unhappy with their jobs? And they raise their hand. Most of the time, a, a large majority of the time, 70, 80 percent, the unhappy people are very successful lawyers, very successful private equity executives, very successful CEOs, business people, business women. And they're miserable because they got on what psychologists call the hedonic treadmill. Just a little bit more and I know I'll be happy. And you get that more, you get that raise, you get that promotion. And then you're happy for a little while, and then six months later, you're back where you started, and then, you, and then you're just convinced, well, if I just had more, you know, that was good, but it wasn't enough, so I need more. And then you just keep doing that, and you find yourself, you know, in your mid-career 40s or something, 40s, 30s or 40s, and at one of our workshops going, I don't know how I got here, but, this, but I'm miserable. So you have to really be careful about this idea of more making me happy. And that's why we, you know, in design thinking, you start with empathy, start with empathy for the customer. Well, you're the customer in this case. And almost every one of our exercises, which are really simple, you can do them in about 10 or 15 minutes, starts with an assessment. Where am I right now? When we do the maker mix, when we do the work-life balance thing, when we do the good time journal, it's where am I right now? Just write down an observation. Our second question is always, well, what do you notice? Huh? You know, I'm starting to feel some feelings about where I am. And as soon as you can connect into that, and, and then what you notice leads to what would you like to change? And this is kind of a pattern of every one of our exercises. And this is why people find it doable, because they can just sort of sit down with a, you know, one of the worksheets or a piece of paper, do it in about 15 minutes, and they walk away going, wow, with that framework, I now realize that more isn't what I want. I want a better connection with my colleagues. I want more learning on my job. I want uh, more impact. I want more meaning. Wanting to have more impact and more connection is not the same thing as wanting more money or more fame or more, you know, a bigger promotion. So we really do believe if you set the bar low, you do a little bit of personal observation, empathy on yourself and empathy on the world, it's pretty doable. Bill, one of the exercises, I think you're probably not allowed to have favourite exercises, but it was my favourite in the book. I really liked the idea of what you describe as the maker mix. So perhaps you could describe for our listeners what the maker mix is, and then perhaps you could share yours and where you are right now. Sure, sure. Well, you know, we, we always look for problems and where people are stuck. And people, you know, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, well, you know, I'd really like to do something meaningful, like, you know, 
work for a nonprofit that's helping kids, you know, stay in school, but I have to make a lot of money. So I'm going to go work for this big corporate thing that I just, you know, make money. And I don't care. So the money versus meaning problem. And when we dived into that, of course, that's one of those false dichotomies. Once you set it up as a A or B, you can't win. So we, we reframed it and we expanded it. And we said, well, when people ask the question, what do you make? They mostly mean, how much money do you make? So we said, well, you know, money's only one way is we get paid. So in the market economy, when we go to work for the big corporation, we get paid in money. But that's not the only thing we get paid in. We have other ways of being paid, more you know, we have called psychic money or other reward systems. In the impact economy, when you're working for a nonprofit trying to keep kids, you know, in school or helping uh, disadvantaged moms start a new career, you're getting paid in impact. And then when we did the Odyssey plan assignment, that's a big, the big assignment in the first book where you come up with three completely different versions of your life. Everybody always says, John, I wish my career was more creative or I wish there was something in my life where I could express myself more creatively. I don't always feel like a creative person, but there's a yearning to be one. So we talked to the creators. We talked to the artists and the writers and the directors and the filmmakers and people who do plays. And they said, well, we get paid in expression dollars. That's the payoff for us. So your maker mix is money, impact, and expression. And when you have a good balance of all three, and even in the corporate job, are you making some impact? Are you making the world a better place? Do you get a chance in the corporate job to do a little bit of self-expression design, even if it's just designing fancier spreadsheet graphics so that your presentations are better, right? But mostly those three things are independent. And a lot of times when we ask people, assess where you're at, where's your maker mix right now? I'm working mostly for money, not much impact, maybe not much expression, or I am in the nonprofit sector. I'm doing lots of impact. The money's okay. It's not great. And there's zero expression. And then we say, that's where you are. Where would you like to be? What is the one small change? What slider on this mixer board? Kind of like you're making a, a beautiful new song. And when you make a song, you don't put all the bass, all the treble and all the voice up, you know, to maximum. You mix it, right? You make it a nice balance. And so we ask people to imagine what their next mix will be. A lot of times people are sliding impact or expression sliders to get a little bit more of that in their lives. And then we give them the, you know, the challenge of what could you do this week, which would move you in the direction of this goal you've just set for yourself to have a better maker mix, a mix that's more reflective of your whole self, not just the part that makes money. Sometimes we have these hopefully very generative and creative and doable exercises and activities for people, but sometimes we'll put them in front of people and you hear them groan and you put a maker mix, you know, worksheet in front of them and they kind of go, oh, oh, I'll never get there. And what's happening there, the one thing to watch out for in the maker mix, I don't know if this happened when you did it, is you think, imagine these three sliders, you know, on three little tracks and go up and down. And what I'm supposed to do is make more money. I'm supposed to change the world and have a huge impact. I'm supposed to make an amazing piece of creative art. And now what people think they're, the, the grade, the, the, the range is from zero to high amount of money, zero to high amount of impact in the world. No, what you're changing, the slider, is your capacity for output. So on a mixer board, literally, you know, when you're mixing a soundtrack, it's how much capacity of bass, how much capacity of treble, how much capacity of reverb does this particular channel have, and where am I going to set the actual output versus the capacity? So when you're thinking about your money-making, your impact-making, and your expression-making, like, you know, of my ability to make money, 
How hard am I exercising it? Of my ability to make an impact in the world, of the kind of things I care about and organizations I could collaborate with, you know, am I maxing out or am I just want a little bit more? And so the mix isn't, don't worry about whether or not you're making as much, you know, impact in the world as Bill Gates is or something. You're just making as much impact as you might be able to at this point in time. We're always dealing with the real human you. And there's still a variation. So it's just how much output of my capacity am I trying to exercise at this time? That's the only thing we're talking about. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And another one which I thought was helpful for people around how you might sort things out for yourself was this idea of the difference between the best theoretical option and the best doable option. And you mentioned before about design and design thinking have a bias to action and kind of to taking action because we always, we really emphasise action in all the work that we do. And with our podcast, we always want listeners to be able to go away and take action. And our listeners sometimes send us the little mind maps they've done of all the actions they've written down. I just wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit about what is the difference between a BTO and a BDO and how that can help people perhaps take action from some of the things they've heard you both talk about today? Yeah, sure. The The idea there was to give people, again, a very actionable tool. And lots of people, certainly many of our students at Stanford are very smart, and lots of people are trying to get it right. I'm just trying to do the right thing. I want to make sure I'm doing the best thing I possibly can. And I've got this tough problem and I don't, I can't figure it out. And that's what we call the theoretical option. There's this perception that there is theoretically an optimal solution. There's theoretically a right answer. And very often that's simply not true. An immense amount of the time, what you're really facing is a situation where there really are only a handful of doable options, actually available things you could literally do. So you don't need to completely understand your problem. All you need is enough information to choose from what, in fact, is a multiple choice list. I'll give you a brief example. So a young man I'm talking to, 
really wants to make a dent in healthcare. He wants to move into the healthcare field, but he wants to move toward wellness, the proactive generative side of wellness, not just healing illness. And how do I do that? And where's the, should I go to medical school first? Or should I, and he's really struggling with getting a graduate degree in public health because he wants to do work on policy. But should I get some internships first? Or should I really go to medical school? And if a medical school takes so much time and all these options, and he's really stuck. And we're talking, talking, and I said, look, you only got a couple of choices here, pal. You've already keep saying you want to get a master's in public health, and that's only two years, and you're going to do that no matter what. Okay, so that's not an issue. You're going to get a master's in public health. Done. The only real question on the table is medical school. And if you think about it, medical school, there's only two ways you're going to go to medical school. You're either not going to go at all. You're going to go to medical school and just finish that three- or four-year, get your MD degree, which is mostly classroom work. And then you're going to stop. You're not going to become a licensed practitioner of medicine. You know, you're just going to get the MD degree hanging off the back of your name that will impress people and they'll listen to you about health. Or you're going to take the three or four years of medical school and the one to seven years of internship and residency to become a licensed practitioning clinician so you really know what you're talking about. So your choices are just get a master's in public health, door number one. Get a master's in public health and just an MD, door number two. That's going to be about six years, or all the way to a practicing clinician. And then you can write down the pros and cons of each one of those relative to your long-term goal of change in the world of wellness. And that's it. You know, you only have three choices. And he goes, oh, my God, that's right. And this is still a huge decision. And he goes home and he does the hard work and he comes back and he says, you know, I've decided I'm going to go to medical school and I'm going to defer the decision about residency, but I'm going to commit these six years. I think it's worth it. Off we go. And he had been spinning on that issue for months. And it took about two days. Once he realized, I have to pick one of these three things. The doable options are very finite. And you don't fight them. You don't go, oh, I'm I'm only stuck with these three. No, thank goodness. This is what I call the freedom of constraint. You only have these three alternatives. And one of them is the next step. It's not the end of your life. On the way forward. So walk through one of those doors and then keep wayfinding as you go through. You know, we, we draw on lots of the researchers at Stanford, and there was a guy named Ron Howard who kind of invented, you know, back in the day, the, the science of, of decision-making, of decision science. And Ron will tell you that there's no correlation between the quality of the decision and the quality of the outcome. Don't second-guess yourself. And don't, at that moment of decision-making, also, when you had the choice between job A and job B, and you pick job B, then completely shut down the possibility of A. Again, Dan Gilbert's thing on getting what you want and wanting what you get is you have to make the decision irrevocable because now you've made the decision to take job B. And like you say, it's what happens, what you make of it is what's going to be your experience and how satisfied you will be. But if you're on that job a month later, two months later, three months later, going, gee, I wonder what it would have been like to be on the other job. I wonder if that would have been better, right? And we drive ourselves crazy now with these options because you know you can get on Google and find 10 more options to any any decision. I want to buy a pen. Oh, I can find 100 pens on Google. I want to buy a, some shampoo. There's a 1,000 shampoos in the world. So we do a lot of helping people with decision-making because particularly nowadays, you know, our students have this fear of missing out. What if I pick the wrong thing? I got to keep all my options open. And frankly, we're driving ourselves crazy. And all of the psychology tells us that is the wrong way to make a decision. Make your decision and make it irrevocable. And we've taught you how to generate options. We've taught you how to ideate and brainstorm and mind map. So don't worry if six months from now or 10 months from now, it turns out it's raining and you couldn't have predicted it. 
you'll be really good at generating more options then. But if you don't live into the reality of your choice now, you're going to literally deny yourself the possibility of being happy. Dan Gilbert at Harvard has done a lot of work on this, and, and we use his model of, you know, make a decision and then make it irrevocable and move on. Don't leave your options open. So just before we finish, I actually... I just wanted to give a special shout out to a chapter towards the end of the book and I rarely see this talked about and it's something that we're really passionate about and you have a great chapter on don't resign, redesign but it's all about kind of not jumping to feeling like you have to always leave your current organisation and really exploring options and possibilities and actions that you can also take where you are today and I think so often we feel like we have to leave or we have to make a very kind of dramatic change and I just think a lot of people listening who are perhaps thinking about you know they've perhaps heard us talk about possibilities before I think that's a particularly practical chapter if you're thinking I do want to make some change but not necessarily assuming that that change has to mean kind of leaving the organisation you're in right now, especially when that might not always be a practical option at the moment with kind of the job market. So if you do buy the book and and you're kind of thinking about where to start, certainly you can read it. I read it, I have to say, in a quite a linear fashion. I did read it kind of start to end. But I think for me, each of the exercises and the chapters stand alone really nicely. If you sort of thought, oh, I just want to have a go at the make a mix, I think you could dive straight into that bit. I don't know if that's how you, whether you'd like people to read it start to finish or if you don't mind people jumping in. Oh, well, I think it's jumping anywhere. That's actually one of the one of the ideas was that we don't like these systems where it's like, hey, one, two, three, and your life is better. No, 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 it's too complicated <laughs> for that. But yeah, the Don't Resign, Redesign chapter is really is particularly valuable now, I think, because if you have a job and your company is surviving the COVID crisis, stay there. <laughs> the best thing to do is stay there. Now, not if it's a toxic work environment, not if your boss is, you know, mean or nasty or, if, you know, you're experiencing sexism or racism or ageism or any any kind of dysfunction. But um, if it's a reasonable job and you can just make it better, try this chapter because there's four ways to make your job better. And why blow up your network of people you enjoy working with? Maybe, you know, you just need more challenge. Maybe you need a, a, a few more. Maybe you want to retrain and get some more skills. But on the job is the best place to do it. And it's the safest place right now. And a bunch of the ideas in that chapter, you don't even need your boss's permission to implement. There are things you can redesign your job on the job entirely under your own control. So there's lots of things you can do. And just before I let you both go, and, and we always love to finish our podcast episodes, asking each of you just to share your best piece of career advice so it could be your own words of wisdom, something that someone else has shared with you. I'm sure you get asked this from your students all the time. So Dave, do you want to go first? What's your best piece of career advice you'd like to share with uh, our listeners? Interested is interesting. Curate your curiosity. Go find people who are doing the kind of stuff you're curious about and get them to tell you the story. So the advice is get the story. Brilliant. And Bill? Well, it turned out the very best boss I ever had was on my very first job right out of school, and I was designing Star Wars toys, and we were talking about something, and he said, you know, someday, Bill, you're going to be a manager, you're going to be running things. He said, here's my best piece of advice. People will never remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. So I've used that as a manager and as a professor. It's like no one's going to remember the lecture. No one's going to remember my advice in office hours necessarily. But I want them to feel heard, I want them to feel listened to, and I want them to feel valuable. 
So I try to make sure that when they walk away, even if they forget what we talked about, they'll remember how I made them feel. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Squiggly Careers. I hope you found it useful. As always, if you can spare five minutes, please do rate, review, recommend our podcast to others. It makes a really big difference and it means that we can keep sharing Squiggly with as many people as possible. And next week, Helen and I will be back together and we're going to be talking about how to ask for help, a topic which I think lots of people find hard and need help with how to ask for help. So I think it will be a popular one and hopefully we'll be able to share some really practical ideas and actions that everyone can take because we all need help especially in this world of squiggly careers and probably particularly right now so that's all for this week thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon bye for now planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.